This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, to like or not to like, writing characters you love, writing characters you hate. So this is another subject uh, which has been uh, swirling around in the back of Jules's head for a while. Um, and it's also kind of a bit of an interesting one because Jules and I definitely have different mileage on this. Um, frankly, character likability shouldn't be a controversial topic. And yet somehow it is, you know, um, a casual Google on the subject uh, I know certainly netted Jules around 30 pieces of advice as to why your main character should not be likeable. Um, and likewise, I've seen a lot of sort of articles all about that. Um, but at the same time, the average book review by your average reader tells a completely different story. So what's that all about? <laughs> it's re- It's just really weird because you don't have to go very far on, say, book Twitter or book talk or wherever to find this you know the the, the edges of this clash of opinions yeah and I think I mean we'll get into the whys and wherefores in a bit but um I think some of it comes from this this sort of entrenched snobbery that comes from certain areas of the writing community mm-hmm. um and I don't know it's just not I mean it is a very personal thing reading ultimately is a very personal thing isn't it yeah um, and writing's a personal thing and sometimes those two those two horses don't pull in harness very well together <laughs> no they don't sometimes it's a mule and a, <laughs> and a zebra and neither of them want to be there <laughs> yeah so I mean uh, I'll add to this by saying that um, a recent read of mine depicted a character that the author not only hated with all her soul and i am confident i would put money on the fact that that is how the author felt about this character Mm. um but wanted her readers to hate this person just as much i mean this character basically became like a straw man for well not so much a straw man but kind of like a, a guy forks dummy type figure yeah and everybody was being invited to throw some kindling onto the bonfire and it was just why the hell would you write that? So I, I was kind of grappling with that when I came up with this subject as well. Yeah. That's that's not particularly... <laughs> it didn't make for a pleasant read. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of, and again, this is my personal opinion, but it, it's not just my opinion. It turns out lots of other people felt the same way, um, that this character was being used as a stand-in for a a group of people that the author had some real beef with in life. So, yeah. Um, It doesn't make for nuanced writing, basically, put it that way. So you can go too far the other direction and really hate one of your own characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know... Yeah, we're going to be sort of... It kind of begs the question of, if you hate a character, should you write them? Um... And we're going to delve into these rather murky waters um, and tell you what we think about it. As always, none of our writing advice is intended to be prescriptive. In the end, you are the expert of your own story. You know what you're trying to do. You know, 
trust your gut instincts. We're literally just putting forward our own personal views, our thoughts and our experiences. Um, and hopefully that can make you sort of think about your own decisions, but ultimately they, it shouldn't be the thing that sort of makes your decisions for you. No, absolutely not. Um, okay, so let's look at this subject. Uh, mm -hmm. that your character shouldn't be likable. Now, as Madeline's just said, your mileage can vary on this and ultimately we vary a little bit in ha in our opinions of it. So yeah. I'm going to tell you how I feel about it and then Madeline can tell you how she feels about it and mm -hmm. you, know, you can appreciate the, the difference, as it were. Yeah. So I don't need a character to be likable to read a book about them or from their viewpoint or whatever, mm. but I do need to find them compelling I want, I must want to know what happens in their story. Um, however, if you'd asked me that question when I was 12 years old or 28 or 32, etc., I probably would have come up with a different answer. It's a comparatively, comparatively recent thing. Weirdly, since I started really writing and publishing myself where I've thought I don't actually need a character to be likeable, I just need them to be compelling. Mm. Yeah. I think, and I kind of come from a sort of the completely different <laughs> side of things, um, in that particularly if it, if you have multiple characters, as in you're telling, you know, multiple stories, I don't mind occasionally going into the head of a character who I find less likable um, yeah. to provide a sense of, you know, a new point of view or things like that. But if your main character... Um, or most of your main characters are unlikable for me, I can't read it. Because for me, reading is very much about I'm spending time with that character. And if I don't like that character, I don't want to spend time with them. It's like a, a you know, it's like trying to, it's like a friendship in some respects. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, ha I have to say in real life, if I don't find, if I don't like you, I probably won't want to spend time with you full stop. So. Yeah. <laughs> and that is very much the case, you know, with books for me is that um, I know Jules is much more of a, right, I've started it, I've got to finish this. Whereas I am not. If I start something and I don't like it, I will just stop reading it. I will just go, okay. And and I have no pressure inside of me to push on through with something unless I really think I'm going to get something out of it. And for the most part, um, if I'm getting the sense that I won't, I will give up on it. Um, and sometimes I go back a little bit later and I give it another try and sometimes it works then, sometimes it doesn't. But character likability is a major issue and it has resulted in me starting a lot of books, also starting films and series and stuff like that, which have a lot of promise and going, actually, I don't want to watch this because I don't like these characters. And it also means that for series that, you know, revolve around very very bad people things like that where it's kind of it's the thriller element i just can't watch it because i i don't want to be there i don't want to spend any time with this character <laughs> that's that yeah so you couldn't find viewpoints that are much more opposing than mine and madeline's but yeah neither of them are wrong and nothing in between is wrong i mean sometimes you might be a bit more one way or a bit more the other depending on what's going on in your life etc um or, or the book it, itself or the book itself, or the writing style. I mean, to be honest, I've read books where I'm there for the world building, mm. which, you know, or I'm there for the writing style, and I actually don't give two hoots about the character. It's rare, but it does happen. So, 
you know, people read for all sorts of reasons. So, yes, um, character likability is clearly a quality where reader mileage can vary, mm. um, as we've just discussed. <laughs> so where exactly has this your character shouldn't be likable advice come from? Well, look, we're not going to to start dissing literary fiction as a whole, but... A lot of writing advice that is received as gospel does appear to come out of that tradition. Um, So your character should be unlikable is one particular gem from literary fiction where it's this big thing. And it's probably another reason that I just dislike a lot of literary fiction. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm up for like an anti-hero. Mm. Um, in all sorts of different shapes, if you like. So I'm up for a female anti-hero, which, you know, to be honest, we're much more um, unforgiving towards a female protagonist who is actually not likeable because she is an anti-hero than we are to a male one because we're more conditioned to think it's okay for males to behave that way. It is changing, but it's one of those slowly moving dials. Um, And I'm, I'm fine with that. And I'm fine with, you know, like a gay anti-hero or a you know a trans anti-hero or whatever potentially yeah um but on the other hand if you're going in and you're thinking this person is just such an absolute piece of shit yeah i don't like i i mean there's a few where i've i i mean you have to work quite hard to turn me off in the first three chapters but it's happened you know where i've gone i just i just don't want to read you at all i'm not interested in you I'm more likely to quit if I find a character boring when there's nothing for me to hold on to, in fairness. Yeah. Um, And I think that also goes a long way into show what we actually mean by likability or unlikability. Because you can... Because sometimes, yeah, when we say we find a character compelling and we might like elements of them, you know, so we might go, well, this character is a really bad person, but they're actually kind of funny and I like that as... A character, obviously not that as a person, but as a yeah. character trait, that's enough to keep me going. In that they are funny, and so I'm I'm finding the character compelling. Um, so you know that could be part of the likability. You don't have to like every single thing about them. Um, but for me, like there are certain things where that's it. Like I just there's a line that's crossed, and if I don't like a character, I cannot engage with them at all. I don't care about them. I find them boring, usually, at that point. Even if they're going around doing all this stuff, I just think there's absolutely no reason for me to be feel compelled with you at all, because I don't... There's nothing I like about you at all. Yeah. As a character. I mean, bringing it back to the whole your character should not be likeable piece of advice, which has come out of the literary tradition, um... I think a lot of that comes down to this idea that characters should have flaws, which they absolutely should. Yeah. Um, and the idea that you're not writing a whole character unless they do have flaws, which, again, that's a perfectly reasonable piece of advice or mm-hmm. a reasonable assumption until you actually see the character. Um, but I think sometimes things get magnified in literary fiction to the point where the rules get presented to you in quite a prescriptive manner, which we try, you know, we try not to do personally here. We've got our yeah. own preferences, but you you get people who are so sort of dyed in the, in the wool about how you should write this, how you should present it if it's literary. Um, and generally that's kind of denotes a lack of confidence in the writers. In my personal opinion, I think that that's what that comes down to. 
So when they're handing out advice like your character should not be likable, check who's offering that advice because there are an awful lot of really great literary writers who, you know, I've read a lot of their books and they don't necessarily write likable characters, but they're not setting out to make you hate them from the first page either. <laughs> and they tend to be people who are quite confident in their writing. Um, they've had lots of practice. They've done lots of of um, work on themselves, on their writing, etc. So, mm-hmm. yeah, d- don't take blanket advice from anybody, really. Not even us. Yeah. <laughs> like we say, <laughs> think about it, but don't, don't just uh, apply yeah. it automatically. Um, but yeah, and, and I think that is one of the big problems then is that you get this kind of this blanket advice um, and you start to see newbie writers grappling with it because uh, yeah. they've been told and I, I see it a lot also, you know, certain professionals, you know, in certain writing courses or things online where it says, do it like this. And the slight snobbery that goes along with that in that, you know, anything less than this is wrong. The greats are doing this, so you should be doing that, etc. Um, and what happens is that you get these people <laughs> who are just kind of confused about and and sort of really struggling to write in a genre that they like, in a story that they like, um, and not be, and being restricted in these ways and told that they won't make it or they're not worthy if they don't do it like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I um, I think that really got in my way when I initially started writing and not when I started writing full publication, but when I just started writing and trying to do it seriously, mm. was this idea that I needed to be literary and I needed to follow literary rules. Yeah. I'm not a literary writer, I'm a genre writer and um I just never could never finish anything because I couldn't fall in love with what I was writing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and you do not have to write in a literary style for your work to matter. Your yeah. character can be likable or not. That's completely up to you. You can write unlikable characters in genre fiction. You can write likable characters in literary fiction. Whatever you want to yeah. do it <laughs> the way that you want to do it. Anyways, yes. fine. <laughs> it is. This is not something you're going to necessarily... You can't really do it wrong because that's how you envisage it, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So, uh, okay, in addition, different metrics for likability are often applied. So there actually isn't a consensus of opinion as to what likability even means. Yeah. Um, one metric seems to be, would you like to hang out with that person in real life? Which... That's not a definition any storyteller should be using because that's insane. That's like, okay, well, would I hang out with this person in real life? Well, as a writer, um, yeah, maybe maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. And again, maybe that's a metric that's more useful to a reader rather than a writer. Yeah. As in how much time do you want to spend with somebody? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, if <laughs> I've got... So obviously Aaron from The Hamashia Cycle... He's an yeah, assassin. He's great. Um, I love that character. <laughs> but I might actually cross the street him. to avoid. <laughs> 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 to actually cross the street to avoid it. It's like um, I love Jorg Ankrath from the Broken Empire trilogy by Mark Lawrence. Mm-hmm. But the guy is an absolute. You know, this character is an absolute psychopath. Yeah, 
and we first meet him in, when he's 14 years old and he's standing in the carnage of a battlefield watching his, his bunch of cutthroat mercenaries sort of despoil the dead and it's like, it makes an impression and he's funny and he's competent. But he's not yeah. a good guy. You don't hang out with him. <laughs> yeah, there most, you know, people you look at, you're like, actually, I would not want to hang out with this person. Um, even if they're sort of being a, they're a relatively, you know, good person morally, for the most part, actually, um, there are a lot of popular characters who you wouldn't actually want to spend the day with um, in real life, but you want to spend the day with them in fiction. And there's a big difference, <laughs> I think. Yeah, that absolutely is. So, anyway, with that, all of that out of the way, and a sort of a sort of metric we can agree on that likability is basically something that's personal to you. Do you find them likable? Yeah. Um, let's look at some techniques you can use to add likability to your main character. Ideally, yeah. for your target audience, it won't be likability for everybody. <laughs> yeah. So. Likeability doesn't mean your character should be bland, perfect, or boring. In fact, I would almost say it's the opposite. If they're like, if your character is too perfect or is too sort of bland, they're likely to actually start being unlikable, which is the opposite yeah. of what you wanted. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was fine with Bella Swan in the Twilight series because she had that slight snarkiness so mm. even though she was quiet and she was quite selfless and and what have you her inner monologue was wry and amusing and sounded like someone much older than she was so I thought that was that worked for me but they took all of that away when they made the films so yeah. that she actually just becomes this very boring cardboard cutout character who's a mask for women to look through and yeah. that, that sort of character has never really engaged me, so... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah Keep the flaws. Even if it's really annoying insecurity-type stuff, you do need it. Yeah, and remember, clumsiness isn't a flaw. It's just no. a thing that some people have. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, it's a thing that some people have, like, every so often anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway... While likability can be affected by what good deeds your character performs, it shouldn't be defined by it. Yeah. Um, certainly, I think that there, that you know, there are certain elements where character characters doing something, particularly if you have an antihero, and then ultimately they make the right choice, that will increase their likability because you think at heart they're a good person. But it isn't the main and only thing, I think. No, absolutely not. And it's the same. It really bugs me when I read something and you... What did I read recently? I don't want to, to crap on this book, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. I can't remember who it was by and I can't see my bookshelf from here easily enough to tell you. But it, it's a book that had literally been sat on my shelf for about 15 years. And I've got my this thing this year whereby all the books I haven't re read on my shelf, I'm getting through a few of them every month. So right. I'm going to get through them and then I'm either going to rehome them or sell them or whatever. I'm not going to keep books around that I don't absolutely love or want to pick up and read again, ultimately, yeah. is, is my thing. But anyway, this is Once in a Full Moon and it, it's, it's basically your typical... Um, American teenage girl falls for a guy who turns out to be a werewolf thing. Um, With a title like that, I never would have guessed. Yeah, it's not hard to guess, and it's it's very, it's very early noughties kind of version of that fiction as well. Yeah. 
uh, which means that <laughs> how can I explain it? I'm tr really trying not to be offensive because I think some people would still enjoy the simplicity of the story and they would enjoy having a story like that where the rules are very set and what have you and there isn't yeah. a lot of character differentiation and there's no real obstacles to the romance other than he's a werewolf or whatever. Yeah. And it's just the main character you're kind of like she wants to be out in the woods and in nature more than hanging out with her friends she's not really a fashionista she hangs out with these cool girls and she's doesn't consider herself pretty etc but she obviously is um and then there's other things like she volunteers at old people's home and things like that and you just get these good deeds stacked one on top of the other and she never really thinks ill of people and there's no real character if you took those things away there'd be no real characterization at all She's right. just kind of this um, nebulous blob. Yeah, nebulous blob of deeds. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's like I get the entire sort of you know the save the, the save the cat save the puppy thing. Yeah, that's a shortcut to saying this is someone you should root for. Yeah, <laughs> um, but you you can't make that the totality of someone's character and say this is a likable person because you need more than that to hang to, to hang a reader on. Yeah. That's a really weird image. I'm sorry I said that. No, <laughs> but I, I know exactly what you mean. And I think also there's the other element, which is that actually if you have portrayed a character who is unlikable, but they still save the puppy, that makes them even more likable than someone who's been sort of a bit bland and then they save the puppy, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, contrasting it with a book that was written at the same sort of time um, called The Splendor Falls by Rosemary Clement Moore, and it is one of my favourite books of all time. The main character is spiky, opinionated, um, really quite bitter that her dancing career has come to an early end, and is kind of grieving a lot of things and doesn't want anyone to get close to her. She has so much personality and she is so horrible to a lot of people. <laughs> and yet at the same time, when it comes to being just basically decent um, and, you know, she she actually does have a little rescue dog that she's looked after. Um, she's, I don't know, she's absolutely brimming with character. It's impossible not to love this character. Yeah. So comparatively, sort of like... Someone made entirely of good deeds, someone made of like this raw anger and spikiness, but actually will do the decent thing because despite being upset with the world in general, they are a good person. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, I went off on a tangent there. No, um, no, no. Basically, basically, there are many morally repugnant characters that are intensely likeable. So, like I've said, Jorgan Krath from Broken Empire. Um, yeah. Francis Urquhart, if you read, if you read the UK version of House of Cards, or you know Frank Underwood, if you watch the American adaptation, yeah, he's. You can't help rooting for the guy, even though he is clearly a morally reprehensible human being. Yeah. Um, Eleanor Shellstrop from The Good Place, not a good person, selfish, self-involved, really only interested in looking out for number one. Loki. Still really hard. Loki, yeah, still really hard not to like them, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> See, I couldn't get that. I couldn't get into the good place because I didn't care about her. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe she needs a few more episodes. Uh, I don't know. I think it was like four episodes in, and after that, I was like, okay, 
the fact that so much more of her character is being brought out by these other people she's forced to because every single one of the main four yeah they were really bad in some way they just sort of drove you nuts in some way yeah 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 absolutely um but yeah loki is another one as i said and um you know but it also just goes to show the mileage because for some people that's yeah they're likable enough even though they're reprehensible and for some people it's now there's a line here and i'm just not liking them um so there really is no kind of measure by which you can say you're going to win with everybody no Um, absolutely not um and likable characters are not cookie cutter models so no um, an unusual character quite often gets bonus points for novelty value and you don't have to be generic about it so for example, Seven of Nine from, I was going to say Deep Space Nine. I don't mean Deep Space Nine, I mean Voyager. Voyager <laughs> really picked up when De- when Seven of Nine turned up. And it wasn't just the extreme corsetry she was wearing, I'm sure. The storylines got better too. Um, <laughs> Murderbot. Murderbot from um, <laughs> um, Martha Wells' Murderbot Diaries. Murderbot Diaries. <laughs> um, just, you know, uh, all systems red, etc., is a great character. Doesn't it? It is effectively non-binary because it's a robot. <laughs> yeah. And um, defines itself, calls itself murder bot because it has killed humans, um, and just sort of wants to stay away from people and watch its soap operas all the time. <laughs> it's like technically that wouldn't amount to a likable character, but the grudging way that Murderbot always engages in in helping to save people in the end is really endearing. Yeah. And then you have characters like Data, um, who, you know, is trying to do good, but technically, you know, the whole thing is that he has no emotions. He He technically doesn't have empathy. He doesn't have anything like that. And he would actually be kind of scary if you met in real life. But he's yeah, not. he's basically... A- Basically a tin man, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And Deadpool, of course, who has all the emotions, but is so mercurial that I think a lot of people in real life would find him quite off-putting, even before considering he's an assassin, etc. Yeah. Yeah. And has killed a lot of people in really violent ways. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So so some of the non-typical likeable characters out there. Yeah. So likability comes with constraints because some people like some things more than others, as, as we've kind of touched on. But broad likability should not be your highest goal. When you make something that everyone will like, you tend to actually be making a bland, you know, mess that no one really likes. So trying to appeal to everybody, um, just actually, you'll you're sort of spreading the dough too too thin, essentially. Uh, yeah, you are and much uh, better off <laughs> saying who let me is draw... this for. <laughs> <laughs> let me draw your attention to Exhibit A, the, the Eternals, which was just it had the potential to be a good film and was just rubbish because it they I think they tried to make it for everybody and therefore it was for nobody. Yeah. Um it's always better to know who is exactly your target audience for this, um, who is your niche, and work towards them. And you are actually much more likely to then engage more people than if, than if you try and basically appeal to everybody. Definitely. Yeah. Um, um, oh, go on. No, I mean, it, it always depends on your objective as well. So you may sacrifice likability 
in favour of sending a message. That's your choice. Yeah. Um, you may decide your story is more intended for some people than others. I get this is like the target audience mm-hmm. thing as well. Um, and it may be that you feel that some people need this story more than you need the story to be read and liked by everybody. Again, that's a conscious choice. Um, and as Madeline has just said, we, the dragons, um, <laughs> generally advocate considering your target audience first when writing, which inevitably means that some people won't like what you write because you didn't write it for them, and it's as simple as that. Yeah. And that's okay. Not yeah. everyone has to like your work. <laughs> so why is likability important then why are we telling you to think about these things <laughs> yeah because we've basically just said yeah um well it doesn't really matter you write the story you want to write and all of that is true but also you might want to consider a few likability factors so mm-hmm. as madeline says madeline coming from the side of she does like a character or does need a character to be likable in order to want to continue their story Um, So it's the time investment. You're asking readers to invest several hours of their life reading your book. Mm -hmm. More readers are going to read your book if they find your main character in any way likeable. It's as simple as that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, Jules may be able to just inhale books as she walks (laughs) past them, you know. I Um, wish. (laughs) That's what it someone feels sent, like. <laughs> someone sent me that meme. Uh, have you ever seen that 80s film, Short Circuit, where he's just like, reading through all the books really, really quickly? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they basically sort of assumed that was me, only I'm like the Terminator version. But it's not true. It's not true. I can't touch a book and just absorb it. <laughs> but I feel like you can. Um, uh, whereas other people, you know, um, and this actually goes for a lot of people struggle with reading, you know, yeah. um, whether you have a learning disability or not, or whether it's a matter of I don't actually have that much time in my life to read books. So if I when I am reading a book, I really need to be engaged with it. Um, so that time is very, very precious. Um, I'm not saying that your time isn't precious, Jules. I'm just saying that you're faster than a lot of people. <laughs> um, <laughs> I exist outside of time, I see yeah. what you're saying. <laughs> it's because you can pause time to finish a book and most people can't. Uh, no. <laughs> um, you do have to basically, you know, say, well, I'm going to make it worth it. because, And that is the case for me. I don't have a lot of time to read books when I do read books. It takes a lot out of me. Um, when I do read it's harder for me than it is perhaps for other people because I have a learning disability and that means that if I pick up a book and it doesn't feel like it's worth my time from early on if I feel like the character is who is the vehicle to the story for me if I feel like I don't want to be in this vehicle as it were I will get out of the vehicle and I will close the book and I will find something else and quite frankly, that is actually the sensible thing to do. Um, I need Madeline to teach me her weirding way on this one because <laughs> I'm rubbish. I, it's not hate reading. I, this is kind of like this compulsive, um, I must finish type thing. Um, yeah. And it has to be really, really bad for me to put something down. And I think I would probably live a happier life if I got better at not finishing books <laughs> I didn't like, to be honest with you. So um, I'm not saying that always finishing a book is like is like a, a great um, characteristic to have. 
<laughs> okay, so uh, other reasons likability is important. The emotional attachment. Um, mm -hmm. Creating an emotional resonance in your reader is really important if you want them to not only read your book, finish it, as we were just saying, mm -hmm. um, but also to have it kind of repeat on them. You want that book to keep coming back to them so they don't read it, put it down, and then six months later they can't remember a damn thing about it. Yeah. Um, and there's another kind of other element to here which is a little bit more um, sort of... Uh, well, let's just say in terms of sellability, in terms of advertising and things like that for your work, if you go on to Twitter or Tumblr or TikTok or etc. and you are looking for people who are talking about books, they are talking about the characters that they like. Um, yeah. Sometimes they're talking about the characters that they really dislike, but it's because they tend to be kind of the antagonistic ones. They're ranting about those characters because they like the other characters. There are shipping wars, etc. These people are talking about it, and the more they discuss it, the more invested they become in it, and therefore other people hear about it, etc., etc., etc. Now, even though you will see lots of kind of articles and newspapers about literary fiction or stuff like that, I have never seen people engage in a lot of kind of literary fiction or anything like that in the, to, to, with the same volume, with the same no. size. So having likable characters, it kind of also tends to mean that people will talk more about those characters because they're emotionally invested in them. Um, you know, people's book boyfriends, book girlfriends, you know, book best friends, etc. They want to talk about these people because they form this emotional attachment and they want to share it because it's important to them. Yeah. Um, um, and I have to say, uh, okay, two, two points here. One is that if you have followed our podcast from the beginning, um, first of all, kudos for that. Um, but second of all, you will have seen me... First of all, bugging Madeline to read A Court of Thorns and Roses and then Madeline reading it and enjoying it. And you will have seen our entire journey and how Madeline and I have gradually sort of tearfully parted on this path <laughs> and gone in slightly different directions in how we feel about those books. Um, but what keeps me coming back is I'm still desperate to see the characters I originally fell in love with do something good. <laughs> Yeah, and I, 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 I can't learn to quit. That is the power of a likable character. That is the massive problem. Is that, and it is one of the reasons that I'm still hanging on with the the A Court of Thorns and Roses series. Is that I don't actually care about most of what's happening in there, but I care about Lucian Vancera for some reason. <laughs> And, you and I can't. And every okay. <laughs> yeah, and every now and again, I just start thinking about him as a character, and I'm like, oh, it's back, it's back, my old friend, and I can't get rid of him because I'm emotionally attached to him, and that means that I will continue reading those books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, so <laughs> it does help with the sellability of kind of books in a series um and again sorry i know that we 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 talk a lot about the accord of thoughts and roses series we're not dissing anyone who still enjoys them at all this is just our own mileage and i do still enjoy them more than jules ever did i think i know past and a I'm, certain point 
I always feel really bad because I bug you and I bug you to read these books and you read them and you fall for them and I'm just falling out of love with them as you <laughs> fall for them and I feel so crap about that but um, no not everything we've had a lot recently where both Madeline and I have read them within the same time frame and both really enjoyed things so yeah yeah um it's but... just a really good example of how you can go from one extreme to the other and still keep coming back because yeah there's something of what you originally fell for still there yeah and what's interesting is that not only can it it, it help you kind of sell books which are part of the same series it can actually help you sell books which are part of something completely different if i like the way that you write characters um, even if you are then presenting a whole new different story, I'm going to be interested in what else you have to write. This has been the case with uh, uh, T. Kingfisher. Yeah. Um, who both Jules and I have been reading several of her books recently. Um, and I, I just keep going back because I, first of all, I like the style, but more than anything, I like the way that she builds characters. I think they're yeah. great. Um, and so I have consistently kind of gone back and said, yes, I will pick up the next book because of the way that she writes characters. I like her characters. It's as simple as that. And weirdly, I've just been, I'm about 70% of the way through Paladin's Grace. Yeah. And I'm like, some of this is quite similar to stuff that she's covered before. And mm -hmm. also these characters acting in this way would bug me if it was anybody else writing this. But yeah. it's not. It's you, Ergo. I am really enjoying these character interactions, even though I can see objectively that they are being a bit silly, if mm. you see what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow you make this stuff work. Yeah. And that's the thing. That, that, that was my second point, which I've never got to because I'm rambling today. But my second point is a likeable character is Butter. So check out our Buttery episode. But basically a, a likeable character is, is Butter and will keep people on board. You gotta get that buttery biscuit base. <laughs> um, Say that fast. <laughs> um, um, yeah. So, yeah. so that's the whole. Do you want to sell more books in the series? Do you want to sell more books? Full stop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a dislikable character can compound an unsatisfying plot. Is another thing. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a really big one actually because you can have a plot which is objectively not very satisfying because not very much happens, um, and it's fine. Most people won't even notice if they love the characters, and I'm yeah. as guilty of that. And I'm quite difficult to fool because I cannot switch off that I must assess this for all its 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 writing wisdom um, or storytelling wisdom, and that that sense doesn't switch off generally when I watch anything or when I read anything except when you really make me love a character and I'll just I'm just there I'm not assessing anything I'm not dissecting it yep and I am that definitely counts for me in that there will be times that I love a character so much I will just read them doing whatever I will happily, even though I know, I could say, I know objectively this is not good piece of writing um, in terms of plot. It doesn't matter. Um, and again, to talk about A Court of Thorns and Roses, and I'm actually going to point out how other people felt about it. We had A Court of Frost and Starlight, which was that little novella, and neither Jules or I particularly enjoyed it. Um, Jules very kindly called it A Court of Sex and Shopping. 
But the fact is that even though very little happened plot-wise in it, a lot of people really still did enjoy it because they cared about the characters. And it didn't really matter what the characters were doing. They just wanted to see those characters and actually see them being happy. And that was enough for them. That was good enough. And I know certainly that Jules has sent me stuff and I've sent Jules stuff where the char- nothing ma- massive is happening. We've just written a scene, but we're like, we don't care because... The, we like these characters. <laughs> yeah, in fact, that. in fact, that's a really good example. And I will call myself out on this because I wrote a slightly ranty review at the time. And I stand by what I wrote. But at the same time, I think I also said something along the lines of, I cannot believe I paid seven ninety nine for a Kindle edition of this book when it is basically just, you know, a bunch of scenes that the author wrote for her own personal use kind of thing the stuff you write to comfort yourself because you've been torturing your characters so long etc um and several readers emailed me to say (laughs) that actually if i wanted to publish a book of my scenes that i cut out of my books that are basically just coffee shop au type stuff they would happily pay 7.99 for it (laughs) so you know what (laughs) i was wrong okay (laughs) i was wrong yep and the fact of the matter is, is that, yes, certainly, Jules, there are... <laughs> I would have paid money to see, some of... <laughs> to see some of your characters just having a good time, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. You can actually sort of cover up a weak plot or a very simple plot by having very likeable characters. Um, they can really make the difference. Yeah, absolutely. Um I mean, to be honest, not an awful lot happens in terms of grand events and things in Legends and Lattes. But I was no. absolutely glued to that book from beginning to end. Yeah, it's it's not big. I mean, there's been a, a huge uprise in slice of life stuff where, like, yeah, not actually a lot is happening in terms of massive plot or anything like that. But we like the characters. We're watching the characters doing what the characters are doing and they're going through their emotional things and that's fine and honestly i'm a i'm a bit of a sucker for it i like it a lot so yeah okay definitely so to conclude likability gives your reader engagement a powerful yeah. boost yes but again there are other ways of doing that so your character doesn't need to be likable um but These are some important reasons why you might want to make your character likeable um, if you don't have a particular reason to make them unlikable. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so then the question is, what actually makes a character likeable? Yeah, this is a complicated question um, because, (laughs) as we've said, what one reader likes, another will not like. And I know that um, Madeline has liked characters that I don't, feel anything for and I have liked characters that she has objectively thought were horrible people so (laughs) so there you go um tastes may vary and you know some readers are satisfied by tick box characteristics which I have to say those actually infuriate me because I don't feel there's any real characterization but it's what's important to you ultimately so i can't honestly say they're wrong even though i personally feel like they are because it doesn't suit me but i'm not right about you know i'm not the arbiter of all literary taste no and it really i mean it can vary from time to time between even you know the same readers you know what i'm 
sort of I might actually engage with a character because they remind me of another character that I really liked. For yeah. example, um who before it wouldn't they wouldn't have engaged me at all. Um I might also engage with a character because of the way that they are engaging with other characters. So for example, um well, if I look at Jules's work, I was okay with Steve in the um, Unveiled series. Um, I, I, I didn't dislike him, but I didn't feel particularly strongly about him. Um, but that has completely changed with the way that he is in the Harker and Blackthorn series. Because yeah, I mean, of his he... dynamic with everybody else, I've suddenly seen him in a completely different light. <clears throat> And yeah, so he I mean, obviously, a much he's more like a character. Sorry, he's no, no, no. It's okay. He's obviously moved more to center stage, um, yeah. and you don't see as much of him in Unveiled because he's very much a supporting character. But I think it's a bit more than that. I think you can see this. He's changed in the eight years or so, in theory, that have passed between the two books, the two series. So, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, um, and what what always amuses me is actually I also ask people, you know. Um, whether they like Rufus or Jonathan in the first book and uh, depending on what their answer is I tend to then know what they're going to think about Zachary in the second book <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, and yeah if you like Rufus that you tend to be more forgiving towards Zachary in the second book if you like Jonathan you tend to be less forgiving towards Zachary in the second book it's as simple as that um, <laughs> and you know, in terms of likability, uh, it's not that they're reading different manuscripts or anything like that. It's just about the way that they felt about certain characters initially, which has changed the way that they can approach other characters. Um, and that's not a hard and fast rule. Obviously, there are exceptions, but it has been interesting for me to sort of find that. Um, so, yeah, it, it will completely vary with people um, and uh, will also vary with person a single person over time um, with lots of sort of little bits and bobs um, it, I, it, it seems really silly for example uh, but you know sometimes actually even just the way that a character looks can be enough to sway someone towards them or against them or to make someone give them more of a chance yeah <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, it just seems to be that if I hear a character as a redhead, like with bright red hair in a book, I will pay more attention to them. <laughs> I just do! <laughs> um, and perhaps that paying slightly more attention makes the difference between me then saying actually I'm going to engage with them as, with a, as a character or I'm not going to engage with them as a character. Um, um, it's not the be-all and end-all, you know, if they're an unlikable character, they're an unlikable character. But sometimes it is just about having a tiny bit of something which makes people decide to invest just a little bit more of their attention. And remember that getting people to invest attention on anything um, makes them more likely to then invest more. Because once they've started to invest something, um, they, they kind of feel like they've got to put more into it. Yeah, definitely. Um, that brings us on quite nicely to character identification. Um, character yes. identification is basically how you get your reader to connect with your character. Yeah. Um, so you can do this in a, a number of ways, but um, for a fairly sort of simple 
way you can have a shallow identification which is as Madeline was just saying you can have a collection of physical attributes that makes it easy for the reader to identify with the main character yeah um, um, I need a bit more than that but it, it can be a shortcut for some people yes um, you can then also kind of make it a little bit deeper so um, this would be with shared traits so for example the stressed out parent, the abandoned child, the bullied schoolgirl, etc. It's why yeah. you, for example, see particular kinds of characters very often as the main characters in YA or in children's books or in certain genres. Uh, because it's almost yeah, like definitely. these are the people who are going to also be reading it, is the idea. Yeah. Uh, you can also use a, a mask, if you like, which is where you use a few generic traits and leave your main character fairly blank so your reader can fill in the rest. Um, a lot of romance does this very well, or mm -hmm. rather a lot of romance does very well off of using this particular technique. Um, yeah. It's not a method I particularly enjoy myself, and I, you know when I've liked romance it's generally because the main character has been a lot more differentiated than that. But, you know... Considering it's the most successful genre with millions and millions of readers who are whale readers who go through hundreds of books a year, it can't be getting everything wrong by doing that either. No. Um, and it, again, it goes to show the fact that, yes, just because we don't like something doesn't mean it's wrong, because lots and lots of people do. Um, <laughs> um, the other thing um, is... The identification method is niche. You know, some readers will want more wish fulfillment, others are going to want less. You are never going to please everybody with it, so do bear that in mind if you do sort of want to kind of build on that character identification. Yeah, and generally if you're going this direction, you're zeroing in again on a specific target audience. Yeah. Um, just because you're using shortcuts in order to build this rapport between your reader and the main character. Yeah, which is why it is so successful when you are working towards a certain age group. Whereas if you're working towards adults, sometimes this can be a little less easy um, or yeah. a little less successful. Okay, so let's look at sort of broad appeal. <laughs> um, essentially, there are a few characteristics that make characters likable to a lot more people. Yeah. Um. And you Go can ahead. use these, use the, uh, I mean, this is kind of like garnish, if you mm. like, I'm, I'm back to food metaphors, sorry about that. A little um, bit of salt on the top there. A little bit of salt, salt on your caramel kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like when I was saying how I don't like the mask method of character mm. identification. Um, it, and uh, when I've really enjoyed a romance or something, it's generally been because the character's more differentiated. Um, that's when somebody has taken the basic premises of a romance novel and they've added some stuff which gives broader appeal to the character. Yeah. So, for example, selflessness, someone who helps others at a cost to themselves, who is empathetic and can't act without considering the implications. Um, that's, weirdly enough, for all that this gets complained about and was really complained about in Twilight, mm. actually most people warm to it. They can't help it because we're kind of wired that way. Yeah, absolutely. Just um, like a really selfish protagonist is a big turn-off. Yeah, though, I mean, selfishness sort of in the reverse um, can also kind of 
make for an interesting, unlikable protagonist. But, you know, at the same time, when it comes to... Sorry, I should have said selfishness, not selflessness. Um, When it comes to sort of, like, selflessness, that can also... You can have sort of different mileage with that. So you can have a character who is 100% selfless, um, or you can have a character who appears to be very, very gruff constantly, um, and yet consistently acts selflessly, um, but in a way that isn't as visible. Yeah, um, and that's that's actually a really common one, which is the like a they, they look gruff. You see them barking at you know children to get off their lawn and stuff like that, but then you actually see that consistently they're being very selfless pretty much all of the time but it's a it's a it's not a visible selflessness and that i feel tends like to be very... I, feel like... <laughs> I feel like you're talking about gregory maudsley okay <laughs> i'm definitely talking about gregory maudsley <laughs> yeah, okay. um, cool. yeah um he's absolutely that in that he's not being obviously selfless um bella was also an interesting character and I think worked in sort of again the children's idea is that she was being selfless a lot of the time because she was basically just doing what she felt was best for everybody else including her parents and stuff like that Um, whereas a lot of people turned around and said oh look how selfish she is she's being sort of really bad with her father and stuff like that and I just thought actually given the situation she she's just kind of turned everything in on herself Um, So rather than showing anger, rather than doing anything like that, she's just kind of trying to quietly coast through, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, So yeah, selflessness, I agree. Um, The other one is sort of a sympathetic character. So this is a character who suffers through no fault of their own. Um, The reverse is a character who profits even when they don't deserve it, who again can be a weirdly engaging character, but not if it happens too much. Yeah, it's... um... It's like the reverse, it, what we mean by don't deserve it, as in they narratively don't deserve it, because in storytelling terms, we always like to feel as readers that there's some justice being served. Yeah. Or if there isn't, that there's good reason for it not being served. So, yeah. um, you know, the whole Robin Hood thing with a, a character who profits. Well, does he deserve it? Doesn't he? He's getting away with it and we kind of like that. But if you push that too far, it would make him kind of an asshole. Yeah completely agree (laughs) whereas we all whether we mean to or not we all kind of champion an underdog in fiction as long as they're not a complete doormat that's where you've got to be careful with a suffering character and a selfless character if you put too much of both of those things in then people will get bored yeah absolutely um and it's it's the difference between writing a tragedy uh, but also just having a character who never kind of gets a break because it's it's you know it's the tension argument if you're trying to build tension you need to actually have contrast yeah um, definitely because otherwise it doesn't work so you need to actually feel that you know if if a character's life is just everything completely continues to go wrong and there's literally no break from that there's no you're not going to have any of that kind of tension uh which you need um because you're just consistently rolling down a hill. Anyway, <laughs> uh, finally, there's the the novel and the unusual. Um, so, kind of any character who has unusual trait that the reader is going to find interesting, as opposed to a generic character trait, um, it it works surprisingly yeah. well, actually. 
generally speaking when we say an unusual trait we don't just mean they've got violet eyes um, <laughs> we mean an unusual interest or a, a weird skill or you know they maybe they've even grown up in an odd family like the family runs a funeral home or something like that something that's given them an unusual outlook on life yeah all their unusual again data is a great example of that um he's <laughs> he, he's unusual in the fact that you realize that everything that he's he does you know all of his you know when he does smile when he does do etc things like that he has no feelings well so he says yeah. i feel that i think he does but that they just don't work in the same way as most people's do um yeah <clears throat> but you know for example, um, things like that it makes them kind of more engaging definitely um and just remember all your, your characters don't need all of these characteristics and you'd be better not to give them all because then they stop being relatable so you know pick one or two of these things and again use it as garnish not as not as like the entire recipe yeah um so other things you might like to sprinkle in um whip smart humor in moderation so including smart sarcasm Unless you want the character to come across as a complete asshole, you don't want them wisecracking every single time they open their mouths. I love it when they do that. <laughs> you don't. You like characters who do it about 60% of the time. Yeah, no. You're Not right. every single time they open no, their no. mouth, otherwise you'd never be able to sit them seriously. No, I completely agree. Um, it is about the sort of the moderation. I completely agree. Um, okay. um, also, the whole the competence is sexy. Um, this is great. And it's something that I particularly like doing with my characters, and I have characters who are very, very competent, but by God do they fall on their faces on, on other things. Yes. So, for example, Amy, and Amy, and not being able to ever get her love life in any sort of semblance of order, for She's example. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I, I've got to admit, I really love it when you see a character who is, you know... Um, just suddenly goes oh i can do this and then and then not only do they do it they do it really 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 well and that is very sexy yeah. um <laughs> uh kindness you, you do yeah kindness oh, is a good one it's and i think this is this it's there's a difference between sort of selflessness and kindness as well but i do have to say that increasingly particularly as i get older I just really like kind characters. Yeah. Um, but do avoid uh, making them a doormat. There's something quite delicious about a character who is generally kind and tries to think well, even if it's a bit of a struggle for them at times. And yeah. then when someone really does something wrong, they completely snap. Um, and yeah. it's something that's something I personally if I may presume to love something about one of my own characters, something I love about Steve is generally his outlook is quite kind, even though he's a prickly person. Yeah. But when you've pushed him too far and he snaps, he really snaps. He really snaps, it's yeah. really funny. <laughs> it's the same with Nick as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, now, there are other examples, and as always, sprinkle them in carefully. Um, never overload the MC. These are a, sort of also a bit buttery as well, things like that. So, um, yeah. Not too much butter. People like a nope. lot of butter in their food, but they don't necessarily want to eat a whole stick of butter. They're, they're, no. I'm sure there's someone out there listening who's like, yes. I'll eat a stick of <laughs> yes, <butter>. I do. <laughs> I'm eating one right now. Um, 
So the next thing to think about is understanding. So readers become more attached to characters whose motivations they can understand. Yeah, um, um, uh, that, that's kind of a big one and we don't need to go into too much detail. But if you've got a character who's always doing things from sort of spurious motives that they don't really understand themselves, then chances are you've got a character who's a bit of a psychopath. Yeah. Um, or just not very well drawn. So you should know, even if you're not going to fully under explain it to the reader, um, if you possibly can, carefully revealing a bit of backstory and what influences your main character goes a long way towards likability. Yeah. Um, and remember that familiarity can lead to affection. Again, another good example of this is that I think most of us would agree that we're not really the kinds of people who just go around murdering everyone, but we can watch Deadpool going on his murder spree looking for Francis because, you know... Well, it seems perfectly legitimate, doesn't it? But yeah, it, it makes does. it all so reasonable. <laughs> exactly. Um, humility. Humility is an interesting one. Um, when we say humility, we don't mean sort of a grovelling kind of mea culpa, uh, the Christian God is looking sternly down on me kind of way, but... Um, yeah. As we've said, readers root for the underdog um, and a character who is arrogant and cocksure all the time eventually comes across as a character with too much candy. So see our candy episode. Yeah. Um, so every so often, either the plot or the character themselves need to have a moment where they pull themselves up and humble themselves. So um, a very quick example at the beginning of Lock and Key. Amy is having a, a discussion with Eddie about Eddie's new girlfriend and Eddie's asking Amy why she doesn't like Megan. Yeah. Um, and Amy comes to the conclusion that actually she's kind of judged Megan a little bit based on um, Eddie's past relationship history, but also on the fact that Megan's a hairdresser rather than yeah. an academic. And she's, she has this moment of, oh God, am I turning into a terrible intellectual snob? Yeah and pulls herself up. So just a tiny sprinkling of humility like that. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, having There is actually something likeable, and I think it's also part of why a lot of the time you you get that in the hero's journey, for example. It's the moment where the character kind of has to sort of acknowledge their own flaws, because if they don't, they're not going to be able to kind of get past that. So it's kind of a, fu a story fundamental, as it were. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> with that, all that in mind, you might be saying, okay, but why is your character unlikable? You don't yeah. mean for them to be unlikable, but somehow they've become unlikable. Why is that? Uh, well, it might be that you've given them a little bit too much candy. Yes, you've made them too skilled, given them too many gifts and things, smoothed their path too much. That's actually an easily correctable mistake because you just feed them some spinach. So you yeah. either have them fall on their face at some point, um, you give them, you maybe emphasise one of their flaws a little bit more, or you have the plot smack them down a few times yeah. and that will do it for you. <laughs> just, just have a cat come in and give them a little bat on the head. <laughs> Um, you might find that also you've made them a little bit too generic. Perhaps you've been trying to kind of cover all your boards. You've been trying to say, well, I like this character. I like this character. I like this character. I'm going to mix them all up. And what's resulted in is that you don't have a character who is as well defined on their own. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, the other thing is maybe you've emphasised the character flaws too much, as in that's the only thing people can see now. Yeah. <laughs> so it's especially noticeable when a character arc involves them unlearning a specific behaviour. I've seen this a lot in uh, particularly young adult books where you've got a character who's basically unlearning something like racism or some other prejudice. Yeah. And the author has been so intent on us understanding that they're unlearning this that they've really overloaded them at the beginning. So I, I really love Libba Bray as an author. I love her Divine series. It's absolutely fantastic. I'm not sure there's another young adult series that, that measures up to it. It's that good. But her first trilogy, mm. her first trilogy, um, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Uh, I know the second book's called Rebel Angels. Uh, the third one's Sweet Far Thing. Anyway, basically, it's um, the Gemma Doyle trilogy, I think. And it's set in sort of Victorian times. And you start off with Gemma in India. And yeah. she is the first, the, literally the first chapter is her walking through a bazaar in India with her mother. And sort of being a bit dismissive and a bit kind of classist about, you know, all the the fakers and the, the bazaar stall holders and things and you're you're it's quite an uncomfortable read now it was an uncomfortable read back in the early noughties and it's really uncomfortable sort of 20 years later mm. so it's like we see what you're doing liver bray but you know what maybe you went a bit too far in that first chapter yeah you, you know what you've told us about six or seven times why we should not like this character you need to tell us why we do like her otherwise we're not going to finish reading this book yeah absolutely um it, it is kind of about balance. Um, I know because I, I did, did the same thing, obviously, with Jonathan, who is unintentionally homophobic. Um, and it literally is just because he's not really had to think about it ever before. Yeah. He's kind of just going through motions based on his own experiences and his own life um, in, a, in a world, you know, as part of a culture where they don't talk about these things. Um, so you know he's kind of a bit trapped in that mentality um and that has had consequences but ultimately he's not an unlikable person just because of that um and he does sort of grow out of it when he's actually forced to sort of confront himself with it um but i think there are some people who will still kind of dislike him because of that and that's fair yeah. enough <clears throat> okay so what do you do if you hate your character <laughs> i don't one. have yeah i don't have hard and fast advice here um honestly if you genuinely hate your main character then my advice would be maybe you don't write from that character's point of view or yeah. maybe this isn't the book that needs to be written right now because if you hate your character then your readers will probably hate that character as well because yeah. that's all you're projecting into your book. Um, and if we go back to R.F. Quang and, and Babel, um, and uh, this one character, Letty, who seems to be a stand-in for all white women, and the fact that she clearly hates this character, and want, she, she not only hates this character, she wants her reader to hate the character, which I just find weirdly unfathomable, because... Even as a writer, when you're writing a villain or someone really awful, I mean, let's take De, De Giles, actually, from the Marsha cycle. <laughs> yeah, um, he's a great he's, example. <laughs> he's clearly not a character designed for you to sort of like. No. But I don't 
think I've ever sort of hated him, if you see what I mean. I've never got the impression that Madeline wants me to hate this awful person. Yeah. And I've, there's again, it's about understanding that when we talk about hating or liking a character, we're not we're not asking you to hate or like them as a person. I hate Deguiles as a person. As a person, that is not someone you should like. Okay, as a person, that is someone that you would definitely want in prison forever. Um, but he's not hateable in terms of hate. Would be if you sort of turned on, sort of turned on your computer i was gonna say if you sort of turned on your kindle or you or you sort of turned the page of the book and you saw that he was on that page and you went oh i can't do this and you just stopped reading it that would be really hating a character you know and yeah you don't want that yeah definitely i i mean honestly i genuinely think Quang's work is the only one where i genuinely in I think every book I've ever read of hers, there's been one character that she clearly wants you to hate because yeah. she hates them. And I just find that insane. Really, really nuts. And the worst thing is in Babel is it comes across as really mean-spirited and quite narrow-minded, if not maybe a tiny bit racist. I've, so, not, um, I've not read it, so I don't know enough about it to comment. But like, I honestly think you would hate that book. I probably would from the sound of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's not me saying don't read it. If you want to read it, read it. I'm just thinking I, there's so many things in that book that would bug the hell out of you. So I don't think it's I don't think it's worth your worth your time in that respect. But ultimately, what do you do if you hate your character? Is yeah, say why have you decided to write this character? Um, and yeah. also to think about what is it that you hate about them? As uh, look at it from the point of view of a reader. And look at it from the point of view of, you know, a writer. Um, I think, you know, there are definitely times where you might want to stick with it. For example, Agatha Christie hated Poirot. Um, she she really didn't like him as, but he was he he's a he's a great character, you know. But she he's didn't like character. him. <laughs> she didn't like him. Um, and yet, um, I I think that you know she kept writing him because she knew that he was right for the story um even if she had personal kind of feelings about him as a character um but even though we can say she disliked him i i don't think she hated hated him in quite the way that one might sort of imagine if you certainly cannot tolerate writing that character stop <laughs> yeah i mean there's there's ways where we punish our characters in fiction because you know we love them and the story calls for it and then there's ways where we're punishing a character in fiction because we hate that character and we don't want anything good to them ha to happen to them ever yeah and we're kind of using them as a stand-in for other people that you know we've never really settled an argument in our own mind about yeah um I which again i can only think of that one example um, but it's just a case of I don't ever want to see that in fiction again, really. Yeah. Um, just because well, I, I, I'm stuck on why would you do it? Why would you? Why would you waste that amount of time? That's like yeah. finding the person you you hate most at a party and sticking to them for the entire evening and even going to the bathroom with them. Yeah. It's nuts. Yeah, this has been something which has kind of actually also been discussed recently in the new series Velma which a lot of people have, have kind of brought this up. I've not watched it. I've just seen a lot of people discussing it, um, whereby 
yeah, that, that's been a whole confusing thing. <laughs> so it's worth yeah, kind of definitely. thinking about. So in conclusion to all of this, um, and I hope you've stuck with us, <laughs> 90% of the likability argument is based on would you hang out with that person in real life scenario, which is actually a bit of a useless metric for writers. Um, so don't sort of fall into it and say, I mean, it might very well be that you are the kind of person who says, actually, likability for me is based on whether I would actually want to spend time with this character as a person. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's not actually necessarily the way that everybody does. Because if yeah, that was the definitive. case, yeah, if that was the case, then either everybody is a lot scarier than I thought they were, um, <laughs> or, you know, you would not have characters like Deadpool be as popular as as he is and stuff like that yeah um when it comes to writing advice be aware of potential snobbery because you know it, it and it can be unintentional to be honest um it can be people just passing on what they've heard other people say but also be aware of your your own sort of reticence and your your own opinions maybe taking over if you see yeah. what i mean be, be aware of your own potential snobbery we're talking yeah. intellectual snobbery here yeah, um, everybody's everybody's kind of prone to it so i think every so often pull yourself up and just check yeah um I'm, and like jules you know just sort of pointed out some of her own in terms of the fact that you know she suddenly went why would i spend this amount of money on stuff which was not <laughs> yeah you know why would anyone want to do that and of course suddenly went oh actually some people do want to do that <laughs> okay that... i stand corrected <laughs> yeah um, and I have been exactly the same. Um, no one is, you know, beyond that, particularly when you are passionate about something. Um, we can get caught up in our own. So just be aware of it. Um, and there's nothing wrong with saying, oh, actually, I think I might have been wrong there in the past. Or actually, I have reevaluated now that I'm older. So be aware of it. Um, and um, do not underestimate the vengeance of fandom or how defensive people get over characters they like. Um, but do take those arguments with a pinch of salt. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, the vengeance of fandom is like an entire episode all by itself. It, it really is. Um, it's actually <laughs> kind of a scary thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's um, sort of like, oh God, I've made the fans angry. The pitchforks are coming out. Run for the hills. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, it's just important to remember everyone does have a different you know different levels different things that works for them or doesn't work for them and that's absolutely fine but have an idea of what works for you and also have an idea of you know what works for your target audience yeah um so yeah that's where we're going to finish off today uh, before we do it is time for our dissecting dragons recommendation of the week um and jules i believe that you've got one for us yeah, um, I have recently, I say recently, it's actually a couple of weeks ago now, finished watching Lockwood & Co, which I was slightly sceptical about to start with because usually when they adapt a, a basically a British children's um, book series, mm. it doesn't always go well. But this was absolutely brilliant. It's literally one of the best series I've watched in years. Um, if you haven't read Jonathan Stroud's Lockwood & Co books, uh, they're well worth reading. It's basically three British teenagers set in an alternate history f 
sort of sort of future. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what has happened is that forty years ago, um, the problem started, and the problem is an infestation of malevolent spirits. Right. And it's <laughs> and it, it's kind of completely changed the economy in Britain because. Um, after a certain age you lose your psychic abilities which means that children who can still see and engage with the spirit world have been pressed into um, into jobs right. and the more highly talented they are the more sought after they are and the more sort of they'll, they'll um, go into agencies and things mm. um, and it the main main character is Lucy Carlyle who is incredibly sensitive um, as basically a clairaudient, she can she can hear the dead, and there's some other weird stuff about her gift that she shouldn't be able to do as well. Something bad happens with her original agency. The adult in charge does not do very well by her, right? And she ends, and then her mother's kind of negligent and a bit abusive as well. So she ends up running away to London at about right. sort of fifteen, and. <laughs> She goes around all the agencies, but because she hasn't passed her final exam, none of them will take her on, and she doesn't have a reference because she ran away. Mm-hmm. And she ends up at this final agency, which is entirely run by teenagers, <laughs> called Lockwood & Co. And the thing is, they are very, very competent on what they do, but they're also teenagers, which means their brilliance is a bit uneven. Yeah, And she just li- she literally starts off with... And we would be the best agency in London, except we just keep cocking everything up. <laughs> and it sort of it sort of goes from there. And it's just really good. Um, for a start, it was really nice to see something set in Britain, properly set in Britain, where, where they are actually calling each other. Um, There's the sort of names teenagers would call each other over here. Yeah. And talking in that manner and not being all sort of like, oh, but I celebrate you, I hug you and whatever. It's nice to see a little bit of Britishism in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. I, it, it has to be said that sometimes you can tell when something is set in Britain, but it's not been written or <laughs> properly actually formatted by people who have any, any idea about Britain. You can tell. <laughs> you really can tell. And it's really good. It's compelling. They've basically taken the first two books and adapted them into a series, and they've done a really, really good job. So if you haven't watched it, I highly recommend that. It's more yeah. suspenseful than scary, so don't think, oh, scary ghost or anything. It's it's not. Yeah. And it's very, very funny as well. Really, yeah. really good. Highly recommend it. And if you have been put off, I know a few people have been put off by the kind of the special effects and things like that. Give it a chance. Yes, seriously, give it a chance. The story is amazing. (laughs) And on that note, guys, we'll say thanks very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next week. Yeah, thanks and goodbye. Bye! You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissecting readers or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.